Thank you, Shelly. Hi, everybody. <laughs> God's good, isn't he? He is faithful. Can I have an amen on that? He is faithful. In the midst of every trial, God is faithful. In the midst of anything that you're going through, God was reaching out today to us, reminding us of how faithful he is. And I really appreciated what Chad even shared in the encouraging word at the beginning of service about waiting upon the Lord expectantly. That many, many times in the trial that you're in, there is a waiting process that sometimes we don't like the waiting process, but God is always faithful. Amen. And uh, after you get on the other side of the trial, you look back and you see the faithfulness of God. You see how he was working in the middle of it, you're going, okay, God, where are you, right? But uh, he is always faithful. And so, Father, I thank you for the testimony of Andy, that God, that uh, he is alive and that you have a plan for him. And we thank you, God, for sustaining Andy's life. Father, we thank you for the other testimonies that are in this house and are online where, God, you have been faithful through the years. You have been a God who truly does meet our every need. And so, God, even though sometimes we have to wait, we thank you, God, that you always come through for us. And today, God, as we get into your word and we talk about some of the details of, uh, of who you are, God, I pray for an opening of our eyes, God, that you would help us to see you more clearly through the word of God. Lord, there's, the, the word is active. It is beautiful, God. It, it, it shines onto our hearts, and I just pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see you today clearly, and we thank you for that, and we just honor you today, God. We love you, and we give you praise in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. So we've been on this uh, study, and last week we uh, talked about the first part of the book of Hebrews, and uh, this week uh, we were supposed to read uh, 9 and 10 and several other he scriptures in Hebrews, that, uh, that I shared with you last week because we were wanting to fix our eyes on Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our faith, the author, the finisher of our faith. And so we've been gazing upon the Lord this week through the book of Hebrews. And last week I talked to us about how the Jews in the book of Hebrews were undergoing severe suffering and trials. They were going through stuff that is way beyond what even we're going through. Uh, they were being persecuted. They were having the confiscation of their property. They were being persecuted and suffering for serving Jesus Christ. They had left Judaism, and they were followers of Jesus Christ, and they were suffering so bad that they were wanting to quit. They had this temptation to shrink back and to quit the race. And, and the writer in Hebrews is, is, again, telling them, don't quit. You can't go back to Judaism. That, that, that Jesus came. He is supreme over the angels. He is supreme over Moses. He's supreme over the apostles. He's supreme over the priest. He's supreme over, over all, all things. Jesus is all you need. And in order to get through your suffering, to get through your trial, you've got to know that Jesus is your only way out. And that's what the Hebrew writer, he was encouraging discouraged believers who are wanting to turn back, to stay focused, to fix their eyes and their gaze upon the supremacy of Christ, that he is all that we need. And so we talked last week about how today we wanted to go into looking at Jesus 
as our high priest and what that means. So today's message, I'm going to begin to unpack. I got a lot, I even got a few pictures because what I want to do, in, and I'm hoping the high schoolers will be back by the time I get there, because it's so important that our high schoolers and young adults understand Jesus as our high priest. And so it, it, it isn't a term that we're real familiar with in our culture. If you were raised in the Catholic Church, you might have some, uh, a little, uh, maybe understanding of priests since they, in that faith, what they do is they literally go to the priest for the forgiveness of their sins. They go to the priest to receive uh, communion. Uh, they go to the priest for other things. But in our culture, the term high priest has a little, it may not mean much to us because our culture is so different than the culture of the Hebrews. So I want to go into some of that today, the culture <clears throat> of the Jew, the culture of the high priest and the high priest's duties. And I'm going to get into that. There's going to be a lot of teaching. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. But uh, the scripture is good. The scripture actually tells us better than I can tell you about what the high priest's function was. And so we're going to dive in today and uh, get into this so that we get a real foundational, theological foundation of Jesus Christ as our great high priest. You guys cool with that today? All right. So if you have your book, uh, your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in there the whole day today. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, maybe you can use your phone or you can read it up here. And we're going to read a lot of scripture today. And I love the word and God wants us to hide it in our hearts, doesn't he? So in Hebrews chapter 4, Verses 14 through 16. I always like it when the word therefore is there. It's there for a reason, right? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high, a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Anybody glad that Jesus empathizes and has compassion for us? But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Jesus was tempted just like you are. Yet he did not sin. Everybody say, he did not sin. Let us then, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Anybody have any need for help? in our time of need. Hey, all of us have some t things going on in our life where we need God's help, right? So there's some things here. He calls him the high priest. It says that he has ascended into heaven. Jesus is now in heaven as a high priest for you and I. And it says, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Again, he was challenging the Jew to hold firmly to the faith. He says he's been tempted. He did not sin. It tells us to in, to, that we can approach God and to approach his throne with confidence. That's what even Alger mentioned this morning as he was exhorting us about communion that we're going to take here in a little bit. And that Christ would have mercy and empathy for us and he, was, he would help us in our time of need. So what does it mean about high priest? What is high priest really talking about here? Because for the Jew, as we look into this passage, he, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews 
Every time I say that, I want to say Paul, but we, we, Paul didn't write Hebrews, and we don't know who he did, and we talked about that last week. So you have to say the writer of Hebrews because we really don't know. And some people claim they know, but guess what? They don't really know. So, but at any rate, that's okay that they don't know, right? We do know that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it is the, the canon word of God, that God spoke through a, a, a man through, through, through this word. And so, but at any rate, rabbit trail, right? But when the writer of Hebrews is using the word high priest, the Jews know exactly what he is saying. Their whole life centered around for centuries and centuries around the principle of the Levitical priesthood. And that the high priest, literally, they knew what that meant. They knew that the high priest was the one that went into the Holy of Holies and he atoned on the Day of Atonement. He atoned for their sins through a blood of an animal. Now, for all you animal rights activists, you're going to freak out today, okay? Because God put a shadow of what was to take place in Christ into place for centuries into Judaism to the Jew. And so the Jew would have known exactly what the writer of Hebrews was saying. And I'm going to pull us into that world today. I'm going to draw us into, I want us to begin to put ourselves in this Jewish mentality, this, this process of what the Jews did every day. They went to the temple many times, three times a day. The temple in Jerusalem at this time when this book is being written, the, the temple, Herod had rebuilt the temple. He had actually enlarged the temple of God. Herod, who crucified who? And who, 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 who was not good, okay? He literally enlarged the temple that we're going to look at today. He enlarged it, made it larger, and, and, it, and it's amazing. And that temple... Is, is the foundation of it is still in Jerusalem. It's called the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, where Jews go to this wall, believing and praying and giving prayers, praying for their Messiah to come when he's already come. And so the, what we're talking about was entrenched within the Jewish culture. And these Jews were having a hard time ultimately not going back to that sacrificial system and staying rooted in Christ and that he was the high priest. So he's speaking some theological terms that are powerful to the Jew, and we're going to look at that. So let's look at what this system looked like. Hebrews 5 goes into it for us, and, he, and in Hebrews it says, Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to present the people in matters related to God. So the high priest, the very first one was Aaron, that was appointed by God. Aaron was Moses' brother, okay? And so they, the, the high priest comes out of the people of God, and he represents the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant, and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. So this high priest was subject to weakness because he was a man himself, and he had sin himself. And because he had sin himself, he 
would, uh, he would empathize and he would be sensitive to the needs of the people as they would bring offerings and sacrifices before God. There was this, this thing that the high priest would deal gently with those who were ignorant and going astray since he himself was subject to weakness. And this is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the sins for the people. And so what the high priest had to do is he had to go into this temple on that day of atonement to cover the sins of himself and the people. He would kill a bull for his own life. He would cut the bull in half on the, and on the, uh, on the altar. And then he would take the blood from that bull. Sounds so crazy, doesn't it, in our culture? And he would sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the, at the atonement cover of the Ark of the Covenant with seven times with blood. And he would place it on there for his own sin. And then he would come and he would come back after that and he would offer his own uh, uh, a sacrifice for us, the people of God as well. And that's how their sin was atoned for in the Old Covenant through Judaism. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when God called, when God called, when called by God just as Aaron was. So this again, this scripture is referring to Aaron, who was the first high priest in Judaism. And I want to now look at what, um, what that covenant looked like. Because we're talking about Aaron here, and we're talking about the role of the first high priest, Aaron. And now Hebrews 9, chapters 1 through 10 begins to go into this role of the high priest and what they had to do, which I just have explained just a little bit. So let's read out of uh, Hebrews 9, 1 through 10. Now the first covenant, which is the old covenant, had re regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. So what he's talking about there is, again, the old covenant. You had to bring these, you had to come into worship and you had to sacrifice animals. And there was a tabernacle. We're going to look at that here in a little bit. A tabernacle was set up, a sanctuary, you could say, like this, was set up. And in its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. And behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place which had the golden, golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. Anybody remember that movie, Ark of the Covenant? Indiana Jones? Any Indiana Jones fans in here? I almost thought about playing a clip from the movie today. Yeah. This ark contained what was in the Ark of the Covenant, gold jar of manna, the manna that the children of Israel were, was fed when they were fleeing Egypt. God fed them supernaturally with manna. Aaron's staff that had budded, Aaron's staff when, when, when the Israelites were arguing and grumbling about the leadership, um, God says, okay, you, you guys are having problems. He tells Moses, okay, get 12 staffs. Each staff would represent one of the tribes of Israel. And Aaron, who was from the tribe of Levi, the Levites, Aaron's staff was put in with the, 12, with the 11 other staffs, and they took them into the Holy of Holies, and they laid the staffs at the Ark of the Covenant, which this kind of represents here, you know, this little box here. 
and they laid the staffs on there, and each tribe had a name on that staff. Tribe of Levi, Reuben, all the different tribes, Benjamin, all the different tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, which represented to God, the people of God, the ones he loved. And they put those staffs on the altar. They left the altar, and the presence of God came into that tabernacle, came down, and guess what? Aaron's staff budded, and it produced almonds. It didn't just bud, but it had almonds on the end of the staff. And so it was God saying, I have chosen Aaron as high priest of the Most High God. He is going to represent the people before me. And it was, it was a done deal. The people said, oh my gosh, we're not going to argue with God anymore unless we die. Let Aaron go in there so that we don't die. And Aaron became the high priest. And so his bud, his, his, his staff was in the Ark of the Covenant in that box. You guys got that? That's not what that box is, but it's going to represent it today. So Aaron's staff that had budded in the stone tablets of the covenant, what was that? The Ten Commandments that Moses got on Mount Sinai, those stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments of God that we want to remove from our courthouses, was in the Ark of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. The atonement cover is also called the mercy seat. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now because what the writer in Hebrews is doing, he's reminding them of all that was to take place within the tabernacle. He's setting the stage for these Jews who are struggling with wanting to quit. And he's giving them a foundation of theology of why we believe what we believe so we don't shrink back. And so let's look at this a little closer. I hope you can see this. This is the tent of meeting, the tabernacle if you will say, that was in the time of the Old Testament. The temple in the New Testament that was, was I, I could have a picture of it too, but this serves good enough. So the priest is here, down here, and the first curtain was, this is where the people could be, this is where the altar was, here's the altar where they sacrificed the animals and uh, did all that stuff. And so the priest would then take the, the blood of the animal and they would come in here and they would serve. And this is the table of showbread, the consecrated bread. This is the menorah, the, the candlestick. And this is the altar of incense right here. And so this priest, all priests could go in here. There were two classes of priests. There were the priests who ministered before the Lord. They would bring wood. They would bring the, the grain offerings in. And there was a lot of work in the temple. There was a lot of wood. There was a lot. People brought grain. They brought animals. And there was a lot of physical work that priests did. And those priests could come in here. The people could not come into this sanctuary right here. This was the holy place. Only priests could come there. And then the high priest could, was the only one that could go past the second curtain into the Ark of the Covenant. And here he would bring in the altar of incense and he would be, be, bring, bring the, the blood. And this was only once a year that the high priest could pass this 60-foot curtain and go into the Holy of Holies. Now, this you say that's so crazy. There were such regulations. Yes, there were such regulations. And it's important for us to know that when he's talking to the Jew, he's understanding. They are understanding what he's talking about here. Now, this is what the Ark of the Covenant looked like. Inside it, we've already talked about what was inside it and what the priest would do. He would only come into this, and the glory and the presence of the Lord would, over, would come over the mercy seat, over 
the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of the Lord when he would go in there to offer sacrifices for the people of God, the presence of God would come over the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. And this represented God's covenant with man, with Israel. And so now we move. I'm just wanting you guys to have some pictures of what this stuff looked like so that we can kind of begin to understand what he's trying to teach us through teaching the Jew. So here we pick back up in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 9. So we've just talked about the, the, the table of consecrated bread that we just showed you. We've just talked about the, the most holy place was only allowed by the high priest to go in. We talked about the golden altar of incense inside the Holy of Holies, the gold-covered ark of the covenant inside there, the jar of manna, Aaron's staff. We talked about all that stuff was in the Holy of Holies, representing something to the people of God. And when everything had been arranged in this tabernacle like this, the priest entered regularly into the outer room, the first room, to carry on their ministry and to carry on ministry before God. The priests were in that, that first room carrying out the ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room and that only once a year and never without blood. Everybody say that with me. Never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. Now, here's a picture of a high priest in the old covenant with his turban his stones on his shoulders that represented israel the breastplate and precious gems represent us see that breastplate on his chest this was the 12 tribes of israel which we have been grafted into the 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 family of god into israel right we have been adopted are we all into that so this this breastplate was over the heart of the priest he was going in representing all of israel it was on his heart the breastplate the blue rope represented grace the white linen tunic represented perfection and sinlessness and the girdle or the ephod is to serve us and then you see his labor of incense that he would take in there and that's why a lot of catholic priests when they, they do their ceremonies they they at funerals and all that kind of stuff you'll see them having their incense where they go in before uh, to represent the people. And so that dude, pretty, pretty cool looking outfit, right? But when he would get inside the tabernacle into the Holy of Holies, he would actually take that off. And he would, he would come bare before the Lord. And he would offer the blood for his own atonement. And sacrifice and so the next picture that I have this is kind of a picture of what he would do out of Leviticus 16 if you want to read about this it's really cool you can go to Leviticus 8 9 10 16 I mean all it's, it's just wonderful I was going to read a lot from the Old Testament but Hebrews pretty much summed it up for us and so I'm staying in Hebrews but literally he would take there's the incense on the floor coming up before the Lord the prayers of the Saints and he would drop seven blood, seven drops of blood onto the cover and the, and the Ark of the Covenant for himself and for the people of God. And so God is speaking something 
very loud and clear to the Jew. And he's saying, Jesus is now your high priest. Are you starting to see a picture now? Jesus is now your great high priest. So the next passage that we continue out of Hebrews 9, it says the Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. So what he's telling the Hebrews is, guys, this was only a shadow. You can't enter. This was a shadow. You cannot enter God's presence without blood, without perfect blood. And that perfect blood was Jesus Christ. And that the first tabernacle had to be done away with. What most people don't connect with is this was written in around 65 A.D., do you guys realize that the temple that's in Jerusalem to this day that is torn down and only has a foundation, that was destroyed about five years later? That this temple and this Levitical priesthood sacrifice was destroyed by the Romans and they wiped out the temple of God. They, they, we don't even know what they did with the Ark of the Covenant. It was all destroyed. But you know what? God allowed the destruction of that temple because there was a greater temple that was being built and it was being built by the high priest, Jesus Christ himself only. He was the fulfillment of the law. The old temple had to be done away with because they could not continue to keep coming, offering sacrifices of the blood. The blood never cleansed the people's conscience of guilt. It never took away their sins. It only covered their sins. Everybody say covered. covered. It didn't remove their sins. And so here we are. This is an illustration of the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings. They were external regulations applying until the time of the new order and he's teaching these jews that this new order is now in your presence you have accepted jesus christ as your lord and savior don't go back to this levitical sacrificial system it will not save you it will not clear your conscience it will not help you at all to go back but he is jesus is your great and faithful high priest are you guys still with me? Is this making any sense? The new order was now Jesus was fulfilling these external regulations, these external cleansings, because even as they went into the tabernacle, they had to bathe with water first which represents our water baptism. And they would get in the pool and they would wash themselves. And women, if they had a baby, had to be washed. If they had had their cycle, they had to be washed from that. It, it, all kinds of regulations. They had to wash themselves before they could even enter the temple area. Because they had to be clean. And he's saying, Jesus Christ has taken care of all of that cleansing. 
All of that once for all. Everybody say once for all. Jesus has done it once for all. Everybody say once for all. This is so important because in Judaism, your conscience was never clear. And in Judaism, you could not go to God yourself. You could not. You had to have somebody represent you before God in spiritual matters. You could not go to God. In Judaism, you could not go to God yourself. You had to have a high priest to go to God on your behalf to, present, to represent you to God. In order to go into the Holy of Holies, past this curtain into God's presence, the high priest had to, of course, what we just said is bring blood. And so this was a new revelation for these Jews. This revelation of not having to go through the high priest that had been going on for year after year, longer than we've been a nation, may I add? Longer than we've been a nation? What are the things that we go through year after year as a nation? It just becomes familiar, right? It becomes, somebody said it this morning, we take God for granted. So let's look a little further. In Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 12, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater, everybody say greater, and more perfect, tabernacle. <laughs> Not the Old Testament tabernacle but a new and greater tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. <laughs> not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. Everybody say his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Everybody say eternal redemption. Not year after year. Not, 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 I got to pay my dues. Once for all, eternal redemption. That makes me want to shout, come on now, shout the curly shuffle. Unlike Aaron, who offered the blood of a sacrificed animal in a physical tabernacle year after year, Jesus Christ has entered the heavenly temple with his own blood once for all to atone for your sin and your rebellion, his life for yours. And now the Bible says that I am a temple. That I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. Not man-made, but the, that the Lord comes and he dwells inside of me. That the Godhead now comes and resides in me. Does that excite anybody? I am a new creation. The old things have passed away. There is a seed. There is the, yeah, don't freak out, young ones. The sperma of God, that seed, that's what the word means. Sperma of God has been planted inside of Eric Haler and you who have called on his name, who have accepted the righteous high priest as your high priest. That has been placed inside your temple. And now you get to tabernacle with God. You get to walk. And that's why the word of God says, don't defile your temple. Don't do those things because you're defiling the temple where God dwells. That's why sin is so critical for us to flee from. 
And not only was Jesus the high priest, but he was also the actual offering that satisfied God. He is the sacrifice. It was his blood that satisfied his heart. And I'm so thankful for that, aren't you guys? That's why we're going to take communion today together. So the writer in Hebrews, again, is teaching and he's convincing these Jews that what God intended in the Old Testament sacrifice through the high priest was a shadow of a better covenant. This new covenant in Christ was now completed and it was fulfilled through Christ in this new covenant once for all. And Jesus is now your high priest once for all. He is your new mediator before God. He is your only access to God. Everybody say that. He is my only access to God. Jesus is my only access to God. No man comes to the Father but by the Spirit. And it's through who? Jesus Christ, your high priest. Jesus is all you need. So don't quit, he was saying to the Jew. Don't quit. Don't back down. Don't go back to the Jew Judaism. Jesus is all your need, you need in this trial. This suffering you're going through, Jesus paid it for you. And then he goes a little further and he says you're holy because of Christ's blood. And you can now approach God yourself in holiness with unrestricted access to God through your great high priest. And this was a new thing. Let's look at this. I mean, this was a new thing for the Jew. Hebrews 10, 14 is powerful. It's one you need to memorize. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I want you to stand up and I want you to read this with me. This is the word of God. You've got to get this in your spirit. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. God bless the reading of your holy word. Thank you, God, that you have made me perfect. You have made me perfect forever, those who are being made holy. You can sit down. I wanted to get your attention and wake you up. That's an important point right there. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Yes. For by one sacrifice, one sacrifice through Christ, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. When we get born again, there's a lot of garbage in our life. There's a lot of emotional baggage. There's a lot of mental baggage. There's a lot of our, our, our mind, will, and emotions are jacked. And my mind, my will, and emotion, and we've talked a lot about that in this house, about getting free in our mind, will, and emotions. Our emotional healing ministry is powerful. But we've got to realize that a foundational biblical theology that we have in this house and that God has, according to his word, is that you have been already made perfect through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his blood. You have already been made. Say, I've been made. And I am becoming holy. I have been made perfect. 
I am, I am seen as perfect by God. That's why I can go to his throne. That's why I can approach his throne boldly because I have been made perfect through Jesus Christ's sacrifice as the great high priest. And because of that sacrifice, now the process of becoming holy, I am working out my holiness as I, as I have already been made. I am becoming as I focus on the finished work of Christ and what he has done for us. I am saying that is shouting grounds, church. And what we do is we get struggled because we start to sin and we fall short and we get in this miry and then the enemy comes who says he accuses the, in, accuses the brethren both day and night and we get in this quandrum of not believing in the finished work of Jesus, that he is my high priest. And when I sin, what I do is I say, oh my gosh, God, I thank you that Jesus paid it all. He is all I need. I again receive the mercy seat of God. I receive the sacrifice of Jesus again upon my life. I receive what you've already done. I don't have to ask him again to forgive me. I do say, God, forgive me, but he's already forgiven me. It's already a finished work. I've just got to, by faith, come back into it and receive it when the enemy's trying to make me feel like a crumb ball. Or when the enemy's trying to beat me up or discourage me or get me frustrated or get me having a pity party for myself. Nobody else here has had a pity party for yourself lately, right? For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I'm being made holy. I'm being made holy. You're being made holy. And that's what I got to remember. So when I get frustrated with you guys or I get frustrated with somebody in the body of Christ, they're just being made holy. I've got a lot of patience for people now more than ever because I understand this revelation. Because as the great high priest, Jesus is merciful and is empathetic with our weaknesses. Guess what I need to be? I need to be the same. I need to be merciful and gentle with the people of God when we fall short. And so, so many people leave the church because they get butthurt about somebody within the church. And it's like, grow up. We're all going to get butthurt. That's part of being made holy. It's go, you just got to look at them going, they're being made holy. They are already the righteousness of Christ, and by golly, they don't even know they did that. You know when you did that to me, it really made me feel like this, and it just hurt. But you know what? I love you, and I know that's not who you really are. If the body of Christ would do that and do Matthew 18, guess what? We wouldn't have near the conflict in the body of Christ. If people would just do the Word of God and believe that for one sacrifice that was made, all of us had been made perfect. And that that's how Jesus sees us. That's how the Father sees us when we approach His throne is he sees us perfect because of Jesus, your high priest. Anybody glad they got a high priest? Yes. I am, that's for sure. And so we can approach God boldly. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. This is the one I started the message with, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thank you, God, that you, we can have confidence in you and your work. So, these were two new concepts and revelations for the Jew. Those, those two things that I want you to make sure you go home with today are these two things. One, that we have been made perfect through Christ's blood. 
once for all. You've got to get that deep in your spirit, man, that you are made perfect through his sacrifice. Jesus is your great high priest. That was a new revelation for the Jew. And number two, that they could now approach God themselves through their high priest, Jesus. These are the two foundational theologies or doctrines of that scripture and the truths that we must get deep inside of us. That number one, I am made perfect through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I'm being made holy. And that I can now myself, because of Jesus, as I enter access to God through Jesus, I can now approach God boldly myself. Do you believe that? You know, this is why we pray all things in Jesus' name. You ever notice that at the end of the prayer? We pray this in Jesus' name. That's why we say we pray these things in Jesus' name. Have you ever heard me pray? When we pray, we go to the Father in Jesus' name, right? In our prayers, Father, I come to you through your Son, Jesus. Father, I thank you that you hear our prayers. Father, I thank you. I ask God that you would touch Ned Gettings, that God, you would destroy the cancer in his body, that you would bring healing to his body, Father, in the name of Jesus. Why? Because we're coming through the power of our great high priest in his name. We are approaching the throne of God in his name. That's how we're coming. And we can come boldly because of what Christ done, not because of your dirty rags. We can have confidence in him. Confidence in what he has done. And the enemy tries to get you to be confident in what you have done. But your works are nothing. We can, he is all that we need. Can I please have an amen on that? Amen. So we go to the throne of God boldly. In and by the name of Jesus. When you're in a trial. Or when you're not. Because you know, that's why James was able to say, count it all joy, brethren, when you undergo trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith is to produce perseverance, and perseverance must finish in your work, finish in you so that you might be complete, mature, and what? Lacking nothing. That's why James said that. He could be of joy. That's why I can be in joy even when I'm in the craziest trial. God, you're doing something in me. You're producing a work in me. And you are greater than this trial. You are greater than this. You always have given me a way of escape. You've always provided a path to get out of what I'm in. If I just, what? Draw near to God. Hear his voice. And the thing he told the Hebrews, he said, don't harden your heart like the, your, your, your ancestors did in the, in the wilderness, but, but hearken your ear to the voice of God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. He, he, he keep pressing into the presence of God is what the Hebrew writer is saying. And that's why I can crawl up in my father's lap now. That when I'm in a dark place and I feel alone, I feel overwhelmed, I can literally, because of Christ, I can crawl up in Papa God's lap and I can bring my petitions and my supplications to him. And I can say, God, I thank you that you have a way for me where there seems to be no way. I thank you that the river may be overtaking me, but I will not be overtaken. I may get through the fire, but I'm not going to be burned because, God, you are with me. And if I have you, I have everything that I need to endure through this. he's made me perfect and he's made me holy making me holy his blood so that you 
can have access to the Father so that you can get help and grace. Grace is favor. I need help and God's favor in my time of need. I have an empathetic high priest who is going to deal gently with me and is concerned for me and he will help me in my time of need. And just like Chad shared earlier, sometimes there's a wait. And even next week we're going to get into, and we're going to look into the hall of faith. Those heroes of the faith. Oh God, I thank God for the testimony of the heroes of the faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Where you look at those men and women of God and some of the waiting they went through. But they persevered in their faith. And they knew the God that had promised them was faithful to see them through. And so Hebrews, the writer, is telling them, don't quit. Finish your race. Don't go back. Some people in this house, you're wanting to quit. You're wanting to say it's not worth it. You're ready to throw in the towel on other circumstances and situations. And God's saying, don't be a quitter. Don't go back. Don't go back to the ways of this world. Don't press back into that stuff. Jesus is all that you need. Are you hearing the message? Because I'm going to keep repeating myself. Because repetition brings revelation. So because of these two powerful truths, that we are now made perfect through Christ's blood once for all, and that we can approach God's throne boldly through our high priest Jesus, what should our response be when we want to quit? What should our response be when we're in the trial? What should our response be when we're discouraged, disappointed, and ready to give up? Just like the Jews were. Because they had suffered for so long. And they were suffering serious, life-threatening things. And we say, it, don't know what happened to us. But it's already starting to happen in America, that kind of suffering. As we as Christians get persecuted for our faith, what if things were to change? Heidi Baker, I listened to a testimony of hers a couple weeks ago. And uh, Joel, my son, traveled with her and Will Hart to Mozambique where their mission base is in Mozambique and Pemba in northern Africa. And she was sharing with Randy Clark two weeks ago about the suffering, and I, I don't know if I've shared with any of you, but the suffering that they are going through and the suffering that Heidi and her husband Roland are going through as they watch pastors being killed. And I was like, oh God, forgive me for my complaining. <laughs> She was talking about how a pastor had to watch his seven-year-old get killed. I mean, they killed him right in front of them. But yet, how, when they laid hands on that pastor, and the Spirit of God came over him, and the joy of the Lord rose up in him as he began to shout and praise the Lord in the midst of his suffering. Because he knew that he had a great high priest that was higher than him, 
that through this suffering that God was going to be glorified even though he couldn't see it. I think of the my pillow guy and the suffering that he's had here in America with his pillow company because of taking a stand for Jesus Christ. Kohl's and many department stores eliminated, took his product off the shelves. I thank God for Mike Wardell. I pray God your blessing upon his company. But what if that kind of suffering actually hit our nation besides the suffering what you're going through? Would you be ready? I say Jesus is your perfect high priest. So what should our response be? I believe number one, our response has got to be putting confidence in Christ. Faith and believing in Jesus Christ as our high priest. Jesus is your, he is your answer to pain. And Jesus will be the Father interceding for us. I, I love the passage in Hebrews, and I'm not going to go there for sake of time, but it says that Jesus intercedes for you before the Father. To think that my Lord and my Savior prays for me. When he sees me in my weakness, when he sees me in my struggle, when he sees what I'm going through, that he prays for me and you. He doesn't pray for me more because I'm up here. <laughs> he prays for all of us. Is anybody excited about that? So our response should be praise. Our response should be, oh God, we are so grateful for what you've done for us. It should be faith and believing and our confidence in him, but it should be praise. Since he is praying for us, interceding for us, understanding our weaknesses, understanding our temptation, and empathizing with, our, with compassion for us. He understands that we're weak, right? And so our response has to be, you are the way, and you are the truth, and you are the life. When Jesus came to his disciples, and they said, he said to his disciples, are you wanting to leave me as well? And they said, where would we go? You have the words of life. You are the only one we have. You are the way, the truth. And I don't, we don't want to go anywhere else. We have nothing else but you. And so in your darkest hour, in your darkest place of trial and struggle, you have an advocate. You have a great high priest who goes to the Father on your behalf, and he cries, and he sympathizes with you. And he cares. Our God cares. A whole lot more than Pastor Eric cares. He cares on steroids. I care with little things of sand. The care I carry is just a mere reflection of how he really cares for you. As he calls, I don't call you on the phone as much as I should when you're struggling, but he calls on his phone all the time for you. When you're alone, and when you're, a, you're at a place where you feel like no one cares, he cares. Can I have an amen on that? That's who he is. So I'm going to wind this thing down out of Hebrews 10 on what should our response be. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. We're going to talk about his body. We're going to take bread today that represents his body. The body is the curtain that was rent in two, and he is the curtain for you to go through to approach God. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings.
Stand with me. We're going to take communion. If you don't have your communion with you, if you could grab one. There's some back there, and there's a few I can throw them at you if anybody needs one. Does anybody need one? I have got a good arm. I don't, obviously. There you go. How many do you need? Uh, two. Oh, okay. <laughs> this used to be a bowling alley. <laughs> this represents something, my friends. This represents something so much bigger than a plastic cup and a wafer. Let's take out the bread if you can figure that thing out. The little top one. See that little thing right there? Thank you for your body that was broken for me. Anybody else want to thank him for that? The body that represents his cur- the curtain that was between you and God. That there's no longer a curtain there that you can enter and approach the throne of God with such boldness and confidence because your perfect high priest went before you and laid his body down and was sacrificed for your forgiveness to remove your sin. And so this bread represents his body today. And so let's hold it up and let's just thank him. Father, I thank you for your body that was of your son, Jesus Christ, today. And Father, we as a congregation come to you through Jesus Christ this morning, through the shed blood of your son, through the body of your son, and we thank you that there is no longer a curtain, there's no longer a separation from us to you, God, because of the body of Christ. And we say thank you. And God, we do it in remembrance of you today. And we thank you for it. Let us eat together in Jesus' name. Ah, the blood. Why did it take blood? There is no remission of sins without the blood. There is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sins without the blood. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that removes our shame, removes our guilt, and the blood of Jesus has made us perfect in you. And we are being made holy unto you, God. So, Lord, we apply the blood of Jesus to our lives again this morning. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that removes our shame. It removes our guilt. And so, Lord, we receive again the blood of Jesus. And we thank you, God, for your perfect sacrifice. Our great high priest, Jesus. Let us drink. Oh, thank you, God. Just tell him thank you. Just thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
I'm reminded of the song, once again, I thank you for the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your mercy, and I'm broken inside. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for making this people holy unto you, God, through your son, Jesus. We love you, and we give you praise for it. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Here's your action plan for next week. You may want to take a picture of it with your phone. And I will say this uh, as well. If you're here this morning and you've not made that commitment to Jesus Christ, you've not received him as your high priest, I'm going to stay right up here. Don't anybody come talk to me in case there's somebody that wants to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. I want to be here for you to lead you to the great high priest. So if you're here today, come and enjoy this life with Christ where the guilt and the shame, it's like a burden gets lifted off. Your guilty conscience is done away with and you feel free, you feel lighter, you feel like I could skip all the way to town because God comes in to dwell inside your temple and the old man dies. And so if you're here today, I want to help lead you to that high priest today. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, for this service. We thank you for the truth of you being our high priest. And Father, I pray today, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, that's not made that commitment of faith in Christ, that God, you would not let them leave. Do not let them leave without making this joyful this, this commitment of believing upon your son. And Father, we thank you for that and we give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. amen. We love you.